Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, let me invite Zach and Kaylin to come join me for just a few moments here on the platform. We'll be in Ephesians 2 this morning as we continue our journey journey in, in this portion of God's Word, uh, tracking through Paul's New Testament letter to the Ephesians. But before we do, we're privileged today to have uh, a couple of our own uh, partners in ministry uh, who are spending their life to make the glory of Jesus known. And so you know, many of you know Zach and Kaylin, and they're with us today. And so they've, they've had a, a short time together uh, here with family in the States before they return to North Africa tomorrow. They begin that journey uh, back to North Africa. But we want to know, uh, Zach, Kaylin, we want to know what has uh, the last year and a half or so in North Africa been like for you guys? Tell us about that journey. Tell us about that experience so far. Well, it is... Is this working? Okay. Well, it has been interesting to say the least. Uh, it has overall been really good. We have spent the last year and a half with between us and our team as well, getting established in the country and learning the language and culture. And so far, none of our local friends or neighbors have disowned us from a cultural mishap, so that's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, we're still doing Absolutely. well. And overall, one thing that's been really great is, you know, we're there for the long term, hoping to just show people the, the light of Jesus. And in the past few months, we've really grown in our language to get to the point where we can share the gospel well. And so just one really great story that I just want to share with you all is a good friend of mine. Uh, we'll call him William. William is intellectual, very smart guy. And just here in the past couple months, he has begun uh, to read the Word. And he has tore through the book of John. I think while we've been here, he's torn through Matthew. And God has just been so gracious to spark a lot of great conversation with him over that. And yes, he's reading it for academic purposes, but we all know how the Spirit works and how he can just lift the veil from his eyes uh, with that. So... Yeah, that's just been a really great story. Praise that's the Lord. Been. Absolutely. We want to remember William and that the Lord would continue working in his life, that the Spirit would do just what you've mentioned, Zach. That's so, that's so exciting uh, to hear of uh, someone reading the Word. Well, tell us, tell us uh, why you went. Now, we, we journeyed with you some on the front end of this, and we're committed to continue to walk alongside you. And church family, you know that we're, we've partnered with them in many ways through prayer and financially, uh, and we want to support them any way that we can. But tell us, why did you go? Why did you go to North Africa? I would say uh, the Lord showed us a few things. Um, For one, he showed us the need of the unreached, the lost in North Africa that have no access to hear the gospel, uh, millions and millions, just even if they wanted to. They have no access. And um, he also showed us in his word, his heart, for all peoples to know him. Um, Christ, you know, died on the cross, redeeming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, and that is his heart, is for them to know him. And so the last thing he showed us was kind of bridging those things together. That His heart is also to use us, his body, to bring the gospel to those people who he has redeemed and he does love that don't have a way to hear. Um, and we... Yeah, I learned about some different 
roles to come alongside God in that work, but ultimately through prayer and seeking his will, um, yeah, I felt that obedience for us looked like going and, and living among the unreached long term. So, yeah, that's kind of the why we continually come back to, even as we look to go back tomorrow. Um, I think it's a little harder this time. We're not as naive <laughs> as we were the first time, but that's still our why. And, um, yeah, thankful that he gave us a strong conviction in that. Well said. Thank you, Kaylin. Um, thinking about uh, grace. So our, we're about to read God's word. We've sung of God's grace this morning. We're going to hear about God's grace, a central sort of uh, aspect of who God is for us. And so how has grace, how has God's grace specifically informed your call to go? Yeah, uh, God's grace is just so empowering because it gives us an eternal joy and eternal hope. It gives us uh, fulfillment and purpose. And that's such a great treasure that we have, just like the parable that Jesus told us of the treasure in the field. And it's a treasure that we cannot help but share. And so the question for us has never been, should we share or should we not? The question instead is, God, where should we share? Um, and so just that that empowered us to, to ask the where. And just like Kalen said, the where ended up being North Africa for us. Well, we want to pray for you guys as you prepare uh, to go back to North Africa. I pray that the Lord would open uh, opportunities to share of his grace, just like you've mentioned. We want to pray for your protection. We want to pray for your continued courage and that the Lord would just uh, navigate the path ahead for Zach and for Kaylin, uh, for the church there in North Africa, that it would grow exponentially. Any other particular ways that you would like us to pray for you today? Um, I'd say for just boldness and daily obedience as we um, are kind of shifting, you know, more towards we want to be sharing broadly and often with people that we meet, um, whereas before we've been, um, because we've been getting established, we've been focusing on building those relationships and friendships and kind of investing in a few more than um, many um, and now, like Zach said, as we've grown in language and are kind of more established, um, we really want to be faithful to sowing the seed broadly um, and seeing what, you know, who God has prepared to um, to receive it. And so pray for your boldness and, and just daily faithfulness to that. Absolutely. We would love to do that. Church, would you join me in praying for them now? Let's bow together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us, Lord, for knowing us, for loving us, for saving us by your grace, for calling us to be your children, uh, Lord, for uh, entrusting us with your gospel. And so, Father, today we pray right now specifically for Zach and Kaylin. We thank you for them once again. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel. We, we thank you for the way that your spirit has worked and is working and will continue to work in their hearts and their lives to encourage and embolden them. Father, to uh, to give them joy in Jesus, Lord, as they share the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give them many opportunities, Lord, as they go, Lord, as they arrive. Uh, Father, day by day, we pray that you would equip them, encourage them, use them to spread the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being with us today and thank you for sharing uh, a bit of an update 
with us. Well, church, we want to hear from the scriptures this morning. And so uh, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to turn to a text uh, that is all about God's grace, a text of grace. And so as you find your place there in Ephesians chapter 2, let me invite you, as is our practice here, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's word. We want to hear from God today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Would you pause with me for prayer? Lord God, we pray that you would instruct us, that you would inform us, that you would transform us now. Your Spirit's presence through the proclamation of your word. Father, we pray that you would help us know you more and live for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we heard just a moment ago, God's grace, his saving grace, should inform our call to go. To go to those unaware of his grace, to go to those unaware of his amazing grace, to share Jesus with those who do not know him. But you know, as we, as we think about that, as we think about going and sharing this good news, as we think about going and sharing the love of Christ, we need to continually hear about the love of Christ and how, is, how it has intersected with our own lives. We, church, need to remember our own dreadful state apart from Jesus Christ. We need to remember that without Christ, we were spiritually dead and deserving God's wrath. That's what our text says. That's what Paul says through the word this morning. He says, without Christ, we were spiritually dead and deserving God's wrath. Wrath. You know, my, my oldest, my daughter, found an excuse this week for not doing uh, some homework um, as if she needed an excuse. But there was something that was sent home with her, and it was a reading challenge from the Alabama Education uh, Association. It looked something like this, and uh, it's a challenge to, to read a number of books and to, to record those books, have your parents sign off on it and uh, indicate who your teacher is, and you could win tickets to a really big game. And that's the Iron Bowl that's coming up later this year. It says on the front very clearly, pick your team, Obby or Big Al, and start reading. And, you know, she thought to herself, well, I don't cheer for either of these, so I don't have to read. I'm not doing it. (laughs) And so I had to explain to her, well, you know, there are foreigners and aliens and strangers in the land like us, but for most people in the state, right, 
It's this one or this one. And Paul is saying in the Word this morning, he's saying the Spirit says to the Word, there's really only two camps of people. Some of you, not some of you, all of you, he says, we're cheering for the wrong team. The Bible tells us who we really are, and it's not the message of our day. It's not popular, it's not comforting, it's not progressive, but it's true. It's true because it's from God. He's always right. And our hesitancy to accept what he says only accentuates the problem. The greatest problem with the world, with the human race, with us, is that we are not right with God, not on our own. We're broken. We're separated. We're misguided. We're self-absorbed. The Bible portrays this predicament as death. Now, that's not an attractive image or a heartwarming message. I'm sure you didn't wake up this morning and begin to get ready for church today. I hope the preacher tells us how messed up we are. No, but to deny that reality is to miss Jesus. It is to miss Jesus and his gospel. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's writing to the folks that he's just given God thanks for. He's just said, as as often as I remember, I give God thanks for you. I thank God for your faith in Christ and your love for all of God's people. Just thank God for these people because they're no longer dead. They've gone from death to life. Maybe some of you remember parents or grandparents or others saying to you, maybe a teacher saying to you or a coach saying to you, "Don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. Essentially, Paul is saying here, don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And not only were you dead, but Paul says, and so was I. This pioneer missionary, this apostle says, and so was I. All of us were, verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. Like the rest, we were by nature. Deserving of wrath. The letter of the Ephesians is a, a letter that addresses various groups of people. It's clear that it's written to, to Jews and Gentiles, perhaps a predominantly Gentile audience, but there's a message there for Gentiles, for Jews. There's specific instructions for husbands and wives, for masters and slaves, for children and parents. It's for a, a wide-ranging audience in the church. He says, doesn't matter which, which of these you are, which of these you identify with, all of us, we're dead. We lived among them. He's writing to the church to encourage and instruct believers. And he says, without Christ, we were spiritually dead and deserving God's wrath. Too often our Christian sermons more closely resemble a motivational speech or a sentimental story than they do the biblical text. No talk of sin, no talk of death or wrath or calls for repentance. You, You can't sugarcoat this. The point Paul's making is that all of us were consumed with sin, guilty before God, and without hope for restoration and forgiveness. It's a message that he details rather thoroughly in the first three chapters of of Romans. And some have pointed out that Paul says here in three verses in Ephesians 2 what he says in three chapters of Romans. But even here, he doesn't rush through this message. He characterizes our pre-Christ way of living in verses 2 and 3, saying that we were following the world's standards. So that's what you were, you were following the world's standards. I mean, the things that this world teaches us to value. 
See, our predicament is greater than ourselves because we lived in a world, we do live in a world that reinforces rebellion against God. The world's way collides with the Lord's way, like a disc that's pulled behind a tractor, turns the soil over so that seeds contact nutrients and begin to germinate and grow. So the world's values, so the world's values, things like obsession with pleasure and power and popularity and profit, cultivate a spiritual sickness in our souls. We were following the world's standards and we were listening to the devil's lies. He says that we were listening to the devil's lies. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The air here, spirit of the air, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the air here refers to the locale between the heavens and the earth where the spirits were believed to dwell. Paul's describing the place where Satan is active. The one who's also called in the Bible the prince of demons, the prince of the world, the god of this age, and the father of all lies. Satan's real. He holds sway in this world, and he regularly lures the the lost to oppose the Lord. He says that we were following the world's standards, we were listening to the devil's lies, and we were living by our sinful desires. The picture is one of total depravity. A spiritual cancer that's metastasized to every system and cell of our lives. English Standard Version captures this message well in verse 3. It says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, we all lived among them. Every one of us. This is where we lived. This is where we hung out. This is where we operate. We we lived among the disobedient. We were part of the hopeless human race. And we lived according to our sinful desires. That's the way that we lived. The Bible's not talking about some terrorist group here. This description isn't reserved for those who've spent time locked up at Guantanamo Bay or those working in the abortion clinics or those practicing abuse or prostitution or trafficking or whatever other public and taboo sin permeates permeates today. No, he's, he's describing us. All of us. The former us before Jesus Christ rescued us. We lived in sinful passions. We, we were dominated by our sinful desires. That's what he's saying. Things like anger and immorality and jealousy and greed, injustice, drunkenness, dissension, dominated by these things, dominated by sinful desires, quickly carrying them out and acting upon Evil thoughts. That's the realm in which we lived. How many of you have ever owned a bottle of Febreze? Nobody? A few of you? Most of you. I'd say so. Probably most of you. I remember in high school, I remember one of my good friends uh, leaving his car outside with the windows down and a good soaking rain. Uh, and so he had a stench in his car. The water had soaked into the fabric of his seats that he was having a hard time getting rid of. And he kept saying, I just kept, I keep, just keep spraying it with Febreze, thinking this is going to go away. But you know what? He, he was on to something there because uh, the scientific research behind Febreze boasts not simply masking odors, but eliminating them. Like getting rid of them. In fact, during the product development Phase. Supposedly, people were, were appreciative of that scientific research, but when it began to 
hit select markets, few people actually bought it. And so the researchers were sent back to the field to figure out why this is the case. And soon they discovered that people weren't buying it because they didn't know they needed it. Apparently, they didn't smell the stench of their own lives. So as the story goes, researchers went back into the field and they went to one uh, cat-loving woman's home who happily housed nine felines in her house. And so as they began to approach the door before the door was ever opened, they could smell the stench. And upon entry, one of them gagged. And the lady apologized and said, I'm, I'm so sorry, it's, it's not usually like this. I notice a smell about once a month. How often do you notice the stench in your own life? How often, too often, we are oblivious, right, to the stench of our own sin in the nostrils of a holy God. You see, we're plagued with the same problem. Unaware of the personal pride that we so quickly notice in everyone else. But not ourselves. It's easy to point out the sins of others and miss the stench of our own. The Bible says the stench of sin has permeated all of us. So admit the stench of your sin. Let's be a people who admit the stench of our sin to a holy God. J.C. Ryle, who was a 19th century British theologian and bishop at Liverpool, said this about sin. He said, Every part of the world bears testimony to the fact that sin is the universal disease, the universal disease of all mankind. He says, If the inhabitants have known nothing else, they have always known how to sin. Everywhere the human heart is naturally, quoting Jeremiah, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You see, the sickness of sin should lead us, church, to readily readily admit its stench in our lives, but also to practice patience with others, practice patience with unbelievers. And how often do we act the very other way around? We, we don't admit the stench in our own lives. We see it in everyone else. But the gospel ought to lead us to quickly and readily admit the stench of sin in our own lives and practice patience with unbelievers. Let's not be so quick to give up on those whose sin struggles look different than ours, especially those who do not yet Profess faith in Christ. The Bible is filled with warnings about this. The New Testament is filled with warnings against condemning sin in others while failing to see it in ourselves. Sin runs deep. And all of us were once controlled by it, spiritually dead and deserving of God's wrath. Cornelius Plantinga, contemporary American theologian, says, he says, the sober truth is that without a full disclosure on sin, the gospel of grace becomes impertinent, unnecessary, and finally, uninteresting. This is why Paul is ensuring that his readers, his Christian readers, don't gloss over, don't skim over the depth of our sin. Paul reminds us of the depth of our sin so that he can remind us of the riches of God's amazing grace. Without Christ, we were spiritually dead and deserving of His wrath. But with Christ, we are spiritually alive and receiving God's grace. With Jesus Christ, we are spiritually alive and receiving God's amazing grace. Verse 4 cannot come soon enough. And Paul knows it. 
positioning the welcomed Greek phrase, ha de theos, but God, right next to our seemingly hopeless human pride. Although we deserve God's wrath, God himself has made it possible for us to escape, to escape this otherwise unavoidable destiny and to participate in Jesus' victory over evil. And God's doing this. His doing of this thing derives from his incredibly loving and merciful character toward us. The Bible says it this way, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, God's character and only God's character provides the genesis of our salvation. Sometimes folks get the impression that the God of the Old Testament is somehow distinct or different than the God of the New, right? That the God of the Old uh, is sort of like an angry, grumpy, and judgmental and irritable father on a bad day, while the Jesus of the new is patient and loving. He's like a good father on his best day. But such a dichotomy proves blatantly false when the scriptures are taken seriously. God's character is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so by emphasizing God's rich mercy and his great love, Paul's echoing Old Testament themes and texts. He's alluding to places where God's abundant mercy is most often mentioned within the very context where he'd be most justified in pouring out his wrath on sinners. Puritan writer John Owen, 17th century England, says, he says, he that has slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. He that has slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. Through Paul, God's correcting our slight thoughts. Thoughts of sin so that we'll have great and proper thoughts of him so that we'll see the beauty and the benefits of our salvation by his grace. You see, by God's grace, we have been raised from spiritual death. That's what he says. The very grace of the almighty God, we've been raised from spiritual death. God and God alone made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. We were morally And spiritually deficient, disregarding what was right and living in rebellion, living for ourselves. And yet it was precisely then, the Bible says, that God raised us up from spiritual death, making us alive with Jesus. Dead in our sins, God saved us. By God's grace, we've been raised from spiritual death and rescued from sin's destruction. We've been rescued from the destruction of sin. It's as if Paul cannot wait to remind his readers. It's as if he cannot wait to remind us of salvation's source. And so he pauses mid-sentence in verse 5 to say what this whole section, this whole pericope is really about. It is by grace you have been saved. Sozo is the Greek term Paul employs, meaning to preserve, to rescue, to save, to deliver, to free. In Jesus Christ, God delivers us. He rescues us. He does it. No methodology mentioned here for how to receive Christ. Simply a bold declaration of salvation in Christ. God did this. He stepped in and he rescued us, doing for us what we did not deserve and couldn't do 
for ourselves. By God's grace, we have been raised from spiritual death. We've been rescued from sin's destruction. And third, we've been seated in positions of royalty. Seated in positions of royalty. Given an undeserved seat. One we didn't pay for at the king's table. Because he covered the cost, gave you his name, and calls you his own. That's what Christ has accomplished. This is what God has done because of his great love for us. The text says it this way, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so we await, right, the complete consummation and full realization of this future position, but there's a very real sense in which this victory has already been won. It's already been achieved. God made us alive with Christ, past tense, and raised us up with Christ, past tense, and seated us with Christ, past tense, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show future tense, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, our position in Christ is so certain. It is so certain that we, like Paul, can speak of it as a present reality based on a past experience, all the while anticipating a coming eternity where we will experience the incomparable riches of God's grace forever and ever and ever. Church, while we deserved wrath, God united us with Christ to enjoy His grace forever. Oh, we deserve wrath. And let's be clear, that's what the Bible communicates, that we deserve. We deserved wrath. While we deserved wrath, while we were still in our sin, God united us with Christ, gave us the righteousness of Christ, so that we could enjoy God's grace forever and ever and ever. This is good news. This is gospel news. This is news worth singing about and celebrating. And so, church, that's what we want to do. That's what we ought to do. But sing and celebrate. We've been saved. Let's celebrate the riches of God's redeeming grace. Celebrate the riches of His grace. And we're going to do that now. We're going to do that before we close out our time of corporate worship, of corporate gathering. We we want to sing and we want to celebrate the riches of, of God's redeeming grace. If you don't sing, you don't celebrate. We may wonder if you know the riches of His grace. Let's sing and celebrate the riches of His grace. So let's stand together, church, as David and our music team comes. Would you stand? We want to respond with worship. We want to respond as if, indeed, we know this good and gracious God who is rich in mercy. And who has great love for us. And who is planning even now to show his incomparable riches, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to his kindness to us in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Until then, we sing, we celebrate, we worship. So God, hear our praise now. It is our desire to celebrate, to worship you. Lead us to do so in ways fitting for those that have been rescued. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.